Amen, saints of God. Amen. Let us turn to the gospel according to Matthew. Amen. Chapter 7. The gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 7. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, we shall put the sermonic emphasis on verses 7 through 12. Verses 7 through 12. And it reads as follows. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This morning I want to speak with you from the thought, just ask, just ask. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are entering the final stretch, if you will, of the Sermon on the Mount. Customary in races, whether it is the 220, the 440, the 880, the 1600, the 3200 meter race, amen, it is customary that whatever the final stretch is, that the runner will give it all that they have. They will go from a jog in a long distance race to a sprint, amen. But in this text, amen, as we come to the final stretch. I, I, I'm going to slow down a bit. Amen. Because in this text of the final stretch, it begins the plea of the master. After all of the exposition that we have seen, now the master begins to give a plea. 
But in his plea are some misunderstood texts. There are some texts that we use that are dangling texts. They are texts without a context. We quote scriptures out of context and we apply them to places that they have never been designed to be applied. Many times I've said that in order to understand the content of a passage, you must get it in the context that it is placed. And remember that Matthew is writing to his readers to portray Jesus as king. So therefore, the Sermon on the Mount that consists of chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the manifesto of the king. So we're finishing up on the manifesto. We have seen many of the instructions and the do's and the don'ts that the king has outlined for those who wish to be citizens of the kingdom of God. But there's a very disturbing set of verses in the manifesto if you lived in the contemporary context of the first century. If you lived at the time at which Jesus lived, there were some things that he said that were very disturbing to the multitudes that were gathered to hear him. When we opened up this manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, we found that his disciples were close to him and the multitudes were abroad. He was speaking to the multitudes and by implication also to his disciples. By now in the seventh chapter, amen, he has said a lot of things. By now there are some who have become angry and have walked away. And there are others that have been confounded and are scratching their heads. But then there are others who have heard these strong words and have come closer because they realize that there is dire need and if he is truly the Messiah, then these things that he has said must be heeded. So the disturbing text that they've already heard is found in the fifth chapter, amen, of this manifesto, starting at verse 17. It reads, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For most assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. To us today, we hear those words and we may not think that much about them because we live in a 21st century context instead of a 1st century context. See, today we don't have scribes and Pharisees. Amen. Not in the traditional sense, but we have folks who are scribal and folks who are pharisaical. Amen. They're legalistic, but we don't have the offices of scribe and Pharisee. We look at the scribes and Pharisees with somewhat of a, of a mindset of disdain for them because we have seen the, the, the strong words that Jesus has given against them. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It would be better for you than it was in the day of Tyre and Sidon. Amen. He talks about them putting on burdens on folks that is more than they can bear. He, he talks real strong words to these leaders. Amen. But let's not be too quick to uh, relegate them to insignificance because Jesus speaks against them. The reason why Jesus speaks against them is because they weren't insignificant. They were significant in the context of the community in this time period, historically, culturally, and grammatically. Amen. They were there, and they were the ones that the folks looked up to to get an understanding of what the, the Word of God had to say. So Jesus says to them all, look at your scribes and your Pharisees. Look at the ones who have written pages and pages on scripture. Look at the ones who by memory have memorized the 613 laws. But the reality is amongst most of the children of God, they couldn't hardly remember one scripture and keep it. And here are men who can remember 613 laws by memory. So they look at the words that Jesus said and say, if these guys, if their righteousness is not enough to enter into the kingdom of God and they, we have to exceed that, we are in trouble. But Jesus spends time expositionally going through verse and verse and verse as in his Sermon on the Mount, exposing these religious leaders. To the context of those who were listening, they would be able to realize that Jesus was exposing the hypocrisy of these religious leaders. But there's another problem here because while he's exposing the hypocrisy of these religious leaders, he was also exposing the hypocrisy of the masses. I don't know about you, but when I look at the Sermon of the Mount, I see some places in the Sermon of the Mount that it applies to me. I see whether it's one time or another that at some point I have transgressed against the law of the king. Amen. At one point or another, I have looked down my nose at somebody else trying to lift myself up and put somebody else down. 
at one time or another that I have gave in an offering and felt proud because I was able to give a big offering and I was hoping other people saw it so that they could give me praise. There's been times in my life that I have prayed not so that I could reach God but that other folks could say, oh, how he prayed. There have been times that when I was sacrificing for the Lord that I made myself look as if I was sacrificing for the Lord. I may not have put on sackcloth and ashes, but maybe I walked in a way that seemed a little weak. So somebody could ask, well, what's going on with you today? And I could tell them, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fasting for the Lord. It may not have been perfectly like them, but I had the same mindset. Amen. I am not excused from this passage. So many times we put so much on the Pharisees and scribes, but every one of us has been scribal or pharisaical at one point or another in our own lives. So now when we look at the text that way, and he says to us that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, we're in trouble. Because we realize that we have done a lot of the same things that the Pharisees have done and we haven't learned the 613 laws. We know, where, we know some scriptures, but we don't even know where they are in the Bible. Amen. We have learned maybe at times what are the Bible, the different Bible names and the order, but now have forgotten. But these men stay diligent at remembering and exercising what they thought would bring them righteousness. So then that puts the crowd even at a different disadvantage. We don't usually look at that dimension, but I believe we ought to because it allows us to look at ourselves. So now we realize that the righteousness of the Pharisees and all that they have done was not enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. So then you look and say, well, if that wasn't enough and I have some of the same issues that they have, then how will I get in? After I look at the times when I have criticized folks, when I've had self-righteous judgment according to somebody else, when I didn't get the plank out of my eye before I tried to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, I've run into this same thing. So if mine doesn't exceed theirs, then how will I get in to the kingdom of God. But I'm so glad, saints of God, that God did not forget to make his plea to not only the disciples and the multitudes and the leadership, but down through the annals of time, he has made his plea that every boy, woman, boy, girl in the world through generations might hear what it takes to be a son or daughter of God. So I slow down in the final stretch, amen, of this race of the Sermon on the Mount, of this, of this manifesto, because it is so important to get a real grip on what these verses really mean. When we look at verse 7, we see that it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, 
finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. This is a troubling text for any student of the word of God. Because when we look at these words, it says to us, whatever we ask will be given. Whatever we seek for to be found, whenever we knock, the door will be opened. Amen. It'll be opened. That door, it'll be opened unto us. But, but that causes an irony to occur in the minds of a student of Scripture. Because we understand that everything we ask for, God does not say yes. Paul the apostle, the great apostle who sold out for God, had a thorn in his flesh. And he asked the Lord three times. And the God, our God, the same God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same God that changes not, said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. So we know that there are times when we ask, no matter how uh, spiritual we may be, that God says no. But this text seems to say, whatever we ask, he'll give it. But then we are perplexed because the student of scripture may even think about the text that says, you have not because you ask amiss. You, 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 the thing you asked for was out of my will and therefore you didn't get it. So we must wrestle with this text for a little bit to try to understand because the text does say ask and it will be given to you. See and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. So what is going on here? Jesus is clearly making it clear that whatever it is you ask, it'll be given. But the question we must ask about this particular text in its context is what is the it of this text? Remember we're in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount hinges on verse 20 of chapter 5 where he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, by no means will you enter into the kingdom of God. God's manifesto, God's kingdom agenda. So in order to become a kingdom citizen, it has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which we know in our own strength does not. Amen. So the answer comes in this plea. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's another type of asking. It's not asking for a new car. It's not asking for a new home, for better health, uh, for my kids to go to college, uh, for, for me to get this new job. No. This is kingdom agenda. So we have to ask the question about this asking and seeking and knocking. By implication, when he says, and it will be opened unto you, by implication is a door. 
a door. In the Bible, in the context of the canon of scripture, a door is usually represented either by opportunity to share the gospel or by entrance into the kingdom of God. You don't have to go with me, but I'm going to go to a text that illustrates just what I'm saying. Slowing down today to do some teaching so that we don't miss what Jesus is really calling the plea for today. In John chapter 10, verse 9, you would find these words. Jesus himself says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Amen. And so now we begin to see that Jesus is making a plea that we ask him for interest into the kingdom of God. That we realize in ourselves we are not able to meet the righteous standard that's required to be righteous in the sight of God. The most skilled and most brilliant men of, of, of ever in the Pharisees and scribes fell short. Therefore, everyone else does too. But Jesus has a prescription. He says, put down your legalism. Put down your unforgiveness. Put down all of your preconceived notions about what you must be able to do to be right in God's sight and ask me. Because there's nothing you can do yourself to get it done. But you can ask me. Unfortunately, the majority of the people of the world are not asking him. They're asking their neighbor. They're looking to certain books. And they're looking to everybody else but Jesus. There are folks who have dismissed Jesus as being nothing but a good prophet, a good man, but not the son of man, not the son of God, not God in the second person, amen. So they're not even asking him anything. They're trying to find their righteousness in one way or another. And unfortunately, some people even in the community of the church, amen, are still looking for salvation in another way, but truly asking Jesus to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Some folks are still believing that it comes because my mama or my daddy was a deacon and my mama was a deaconess or she was a missionary and because she was and I'm going to church, I'm all right. She's all right and I am too. Have been coming to church and just playing along with the membership but never coming to a saving, graceful faith in Jesus Christ, never asking the Lord to forgive them of their sins and to come and live in their heart. Have just been coming because it was the thing to do. My mama and my daddy, my grandmother, my granddaddy was going, so there I go. They was all right and I am too. 
But this text says, no, it doesn't come by that. It doesn't come by generational descendancy. It doesn't come by association, but it comes by a sincere asking of Jesus Christ into your life. Sincerely coming before the master, prostrate in his presence and saying, I am a sinner and I'm undone. There is nothing in me that is worthy to come into the kingdom of God Lord, have mercy on me. And then he says, seek. He said, you, you, when, when, when you ask me, seek me. Don't, don't just ask me and go your way, but continue to seek me. And to continue to knock because I am the door. And I'm waiting for you to knock on the door so that I open it and let you in. Too many people are going one way or another doing too many different things and haven't knocked on the door of the Lord. You can't do this by yourself. You can't go and study and study and study and find God. You got to ask him first. If the order has any implication, it's ask first, then seek, then knock. Too many folks are knocking on doors without first asking. See, Jesus wants to hear you call his name. Because by implication, if you go to knocking and seeking, well, then you are just knocking and seeking on your own. Maybe you're trying to use the keys in your pocket to open the door. Instead of calling for the master to unlock the door, the only way it can be unlocked, and that's from the inside. Amen. He says, I am the door. Anyone that wants to enter into the kingdom of God and be saved must come by me. There's something else about this text that I want everybody to see is that this word ask, the word seek, and the word knock, in, the, in their grammatical tense, they are designed to allow us to see that we ought to keep on asking keep on seeking and keep on knocking. The work of God in our lives is not a work that's a one-time thing. Yes, salvation saved from eternal punishment is because once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then he sends his Holy Spirit to regenerate us and now we are taking out of hell and into heaven. However, there is a wilderness, amen. We studied on Friday night, Brother Jimmy, Amen. That the Lord said in the wilderness to Israel, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who has delivered you from the bondage of Egypt, from that slavery that you once were in. But the reality of it all was they weren't in the promised land yet. God was reminding them that remember when you were in Egypt, you didn't have the power to deliver yourself. Pharaoh was too powerful of an opponent against you. He was too strong of a slave master and you couldn't get free yourself. For 430 years you were there and you were their slaves to do their bidding. And even in the last days they said, build brick without straw. And remember how you just had to do it and be beat and you could not deliver yourself. But remember, the Lord your God has delivered you. It was the Lord your God who sent ten plagues 
into the land of Egypt. It was the Lord your God who parted the Red Sea and that you passed on dry ground. It was the Lord God that directed you by night by a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. It was the Lord God that delivered you. Don't you forget that it, don't start reading your own clippings. Amen. Because your clippings don't mean nothing. It was the Lord God that delivered you. Now while you are in this wilderness, amen, don't forget because every day you have another day to make a decision for me or against me. The children of Israel had to spend 40 years in the wilderness for a three-day journey because they kept making the wrong decision. They kept trying to do things on their own. God said, I'm going to give you manna from heaven and I'm going to rain it down and that you eat what you need to be filled today, but do not try to carry any to your homes. Do not try to save any for tomorrow. Amen. But they did it anyway and they found that bugs and, and, and critters were all in it and it spoiled and it stunk because it stunk because it was disobedience to God. And some of our lives stink because one day we trust God and the next day we go our own way. But God is saying here, don't just ask me once. And when things look better, go on your own way. No, keep asking. When you're in the valley, keep asking. When you're on the mountaintop, keep asking. When you're in the valley, keep seeking. When you're on the mountaintop, keep seeking. When you're in the valley, keep knocking. When you're on the mountaintop, keep knocking. Because whether we're in a low place or a high place, the thief still comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Our adversary, the devil, is more powerful than we are. Our only victory in him is having victory in Jesus. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. That's how we're going to get from bondage to the blessing. Brother Jimmy, that's how we're going to get from prison to the promise. That's how we're going to get through this place called the wilderness of Zen. Is we got to keep on asking God. Day by day, we got to keep on seeking God. Day by day, and we got to keep on knocking to let the Lord know we're serious about living a life that he has called us to live. That we're serious about him coming in and being who we used to be, taking that away and be us becoming all that he wants us to become in him. Colossians 3, 4 says, Christ is our life. He doesn't just come alongside. He has to be our life. It is our life for his. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. When we look at our text, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now it makes sense. He who asks for the kingdom gets it. He who seeks the kingdom gets it. He who knocks on the door of the kingdom gets it. Because that's what this has all been about. It's the manifesto of the kingdom. It's the king's manifesto for how you become citizens of the kingdom of God. There's no other way. There's no duality roles. There's no, I'm church today, but I'm the world tomorrow. No, put that down. 
Lay that down. It is an everyday experience. God is looking for folk who want to carry out his kingdom agenda. As I've said before, Dr. Tony Evans has the, the best way of saying what the kingdom agenda is. And it is the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of the believer's life. It's the visible demonstration. It's not what we say, but it's how we do. And it's looking for every aspect of our life. It's not enough to look visibly like the church when we're in the church building around church folks and then live like the world when we're around worldly people on the job. No, he's looking for a comprehensive life that doesn't just include Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Saturday, amen, but every day of the week in whatever context we're in. Amen. So our text goes on to let us know that one man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. That is a rhetorical question because any, any good man that has a son wouldn't give the son a stone instead of bread. They would understand what he's saying here from the context of the early church in Israel during that time, that in the land around Jerusalem, there were these rocks. These rocks had a shape that looked like bread. Amen. And that you could trick somebody because their bread pieces look just like these rocks. And you could switch out and give them a rock and a child could be deceived and bite down on that rock. But God is saying, any good father would never do that. So he's starting to lead us to something. He's saying, or oh, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? That's ludicrous. For a father to give his son a serpent when he asks for a fish to eat. Something that can hurt him. Surely that would not occur. Then he goes on to say, if, then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, that's why I say ask. Seek. Knock. And it'll be given. Because I'm not trying to give you something that's not good for you. I'm trying to give something to you that gives you life. And life more abundant. I am the door, and I'm waiting for you to ask. So the asking, the seeking, and the knocking is all in the context of getting into the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm the best father that'll ever be. So if these being evil will do good things for their children, surely if you ask me into the kingdom, I'll let you in. So he's saying to the multitudes, put down the legalistic laws of the Pharisees and scribes. Put down trying to do the dietary and ceremonial ritualistic law. Put down trying to follow the moral law in the way that they are prescribed according to the Talmud. But get to me. Bypass all that mess and call on me. Because all that they can give you only reaches their level and their level will not enter the kingdom of God. The only way into the kingdom is by Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except by me. Ask me, seek me, knock on me. Amen. Stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to figure it out. Ask me and I'll work it out. Amen. So when we look at our text, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. As I come to a close in this teaching session in this these, these final stretch of the Sermon on the Mount, the King's Manifesto. Verse 12 is like a bookmark. This morning we looked at chapter 5, verse 17. And there's some familiar words in both chapter 5, 17, chapter 7, verse 12. And that is the words, the law and the prophets. Verse 12 here is like a bookmark or a bookend to the beginning of the book. He says, you thought I came to destroy the law and the prophets. No, I didn't come to destroy, but I came to fulfill. So therefore, he looks here and he says to us, he says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. His plea is, all that stuff that the scribes and Pharisees are doing, once again, put that down. Put down your legalism. Looking at folks and saying, well, you don't do this and you don't do that. I do this and I do that. None of that mess will get you into the kingdom. The only thing that will get you in the kingdom is saying, you come with me and come to the same Jesus that's going to get me because my works, no matter how righteous they are, are nothing but filthy rags. But if I'm going to get the law of the prophets, what the Pharisees couldn't get, I've got a prescription here. I've got to ask, I've got to seek, and I've got to knock. But now I've got to have a new mindset. Earlier, it was always saying, don't do this and don't do that. Stop judging, stop doing this, stop trying to get somebody's speck out while the plank is in your eye. But in this section, it's saying, start doing something. And what it's saying to us is to start loving. The Bible clearly says to us in many places that love is the only thing that will last. When prophecies fail, when, when, when tongues fail, when all other things fail, singing and guilt, the only thing that will last is love. This scripture epitomizes what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus says that's the law and the prophets. If you want to do the law and the prophets, you ask, seek, and knock on me, and then you treat everybody right. You start treating them the way I have treated you. Don't you just go and not do something to somebody, but you need to do something for somebody. You need to start treating folks the way you would have them treat you. Not the way you think they deserve to be treated. That's the big difference. 
See, too many times we look and we decide based on how we feel about somebody, how they deserve to be treated, and then we act on that appropriately or accordingly. But Jesus says, no, you don't, do, you don't treat people according to what they deserve, but you treat people according to how I have treated you. How you want to be treated, treat somebody else. Amen. And then you fulfill it all. Then your business is fixed. Then your path is straight. Because now you understand what God is requiring in order for us to enter in the kingdom of God. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. This afternoon, there may be somebody here, amen, who hears these words and realizes that they have not come asking and seeking and knocking on the door. That door, Jesus Christ. They don't know him as their savior. You don't know him as your Lord. He doesn't walk and talk with you. But today, I beg of you to not let another minute, another second go by. But come to the Lord right now, just as you are. Because God is not looking for perfect folk to come to him. He's looking for folks who are broke down, who have gone to the bottom, amen, and realize that they need salvation. You can come to the Lord today. Just as you are, come. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. If you don't have this relationship, come. You don't want to be in that day when one is taken and one is left behind and you're in the ones left behind. You want to make sure that you've got a right relationship with Jesus. Amen.
There is still plenty of good room. <laughs> 